and welcome to Fresh Dialogues. I'm Allison Van Dickelen, talking to you from Silicon Valley, California. Fresh Dialogues is an interview series with a green focus. Today on Fresh Dialogues, I'll be interviewing Dr. Morten Grosser. Now, Dr. Grosser has been a Silicon Valley venture capitalist for over 30 years. He founded and directed many high-tech companies, primarily in the scientific and medical field. He's the author of eight books, over a hundred papers, and several patents. And he has two engineering degrees from MIT and a PhD from Stanford. Thank you again for joining it's me. It's a pleasure, Alison. So let's talk about Silicon Valley. You have a unique perspective, having been a venture capitalist here for over 30 years. We've seen quite a consolidation in the venture market. Do you see that an ongoing trend? Uh, it's a healthy trend. It's not when there's less than a critical mass, but we've had a critical mass for a long time here. We've been extremely, extremely fortunate. We have a unique surplus of the four things that are necessary to have uh, this kind of an entrepreneurial culture work. The, when you ask people what they are, <clears throat> they invariably reply with the first three. That happened to me in France. It happened in, I was, uh, asked by the Austrian government to do the same job for the Wirtschaftskammer, the Austrian Federal Economic Commission. And they always say, well, you need a great university or universities. Correct. You need smart young entrepreneurs. Correct. You need a source of capital. Correct. And then they stop. And they leave out the most important part. Because what you really need is a culture of meritocracy for this to work. You need horizontality. That was explored wonderfully in a book called Regional Advantage by a professor named Anna Saxenian, who was at MIT and is now at Berkeley, who wrote a book which is a head-to-head -head comparison of Route 128, the ring road around Boston, and Route 280, the ring road around Silicon Valley. Essentially, the book is why Silicon Valley succeeded and 128 did not. And what it comes down to is the difference between horizontality and verticality and a, uh, a meritocracy culture. We have an extraordinary meritocracy culture. And why is that? Why is Silicon Valley so special in that regard? It's an accident of time and place. Uh, when Fred Terman was a professor, then head of the Department of Electrical Engineering, then dean of engineering, then provost of the university, uh, he had an epiphany in 1938. And he wrote, all, he wrote everything that's happened since then. He predicted Silicon Valley and, and what the advantage would be. He noticed that uh, very smart professors all attend seminars. And in science and engineering departments, those seminars are taught by, who do you think? By the professors? No, by 23-year-old graduate students, ah. because those are the people making the progress. Right. And Terman noticed that this was anomalous for the industrial world. And I can verify that. I was a consultant for the board of directors of GM a few years ago when they were, although hidden from the public eye, in as much trouble as they are now. And, uh, and I brought to them a PhD thesis by a graduate of their own Institute of Technology. And his thesis was a restructuring of a Pontiac engine block plant in Michigan. And, uh, and I said to them, uh, if you will look at this, what this young man has figured out will have your overhead and double the profit of this engine block plant. And not one director of General Motors would look at this thesis. 
So Terman noticed that a long time ago, 70 years ago. And, uh, and he wrote about it. He called it steeples of excellence. He said, if you could move this principle out of academia into industry, you'd have an enormous advantage over many other companies. Right. So it's, it's basically allowing people like Sergey Brin and Larry Page to just commercialize their bright idea. That's it's, basically the, it's, the key. It's more than that. It's listening to them. Mm. You know, I've, I've been asked many times to lecture on creativity for children's groups, for the National Association for Gifted Children, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and I tell them, you don't have to teach children creativity. You mm -hmm. just have to get out of their way most of the time. Yes, <laughs> but, but it, part of it, I'm sure, is enabling them, giving them the capital required. Not to. just the capital, the intellectual environment, the ambiance, the acceptance. It isn't merely mentoring. It's, it's accepting this. And Fred Terman realized he had to try this out after he wrote it all. And he said, this is what would happen. You would build a culture that was unique in which industrial companies would have the same structure where young people would have a voice and new and creative ideas could flourish. So in 1938, he took $483.75 out of his family's savings account, which was, believe it or not, the annual salary of a Stanford teaching assistant at that time. That's quite something. And gave, so it, little. <laughs> gave it to his two smartest graduate students who wanted to build a new kind of audio oscillator, Bill Hewlett and David Packard. Right. And they moved into the garage and he said, build your oscillators. Check out freshdialogues.com for interviews with Paul Krugman, Martin Sheen, Tom Friedman, and many others.